It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of the space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Donald escapes, trying to buy himself some time. Fires, end zone, it's caught. Incredible play by Donald. He'll hit immediately. Listen, thank you. From the playlikeajet.com digital studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. And because today is the beginning of the legal tampering period, there are a lot of questions about the salary cap because right now everybody's trying to figure out how the Jets are going to navigate everything. They supposedly have $82 million in cap space But what does that mean? How can they most effectively spend that money? What do all of these terms like dead cap actually mean? How can the Jets circumnavigate this crazy web? And how can we better understand all of this? So I went out and got somebody who is well-renowned for his work on this subject, Miguel Rafael Benzon, who's better known as Pat's Cap on Twitter, one of the best at getting through all of this crazy code known as the salary cap. Miguel, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. All right. You're welcome so much. Glad to be invited. Any any friend of Kyle's a friend of mine. <laughs> Talking, of course, about Kyle Smith, the great Kyle Smith, who has an article up at playlikeajet.com about Sam Darnold and taking the blue pill and why the Jets should move on from Sam Darnold. And Miguel, even though you're a Pats guy, I'm glad you could come on and help us figure out all this salary cap stuff. So let's start with the $82 million. And one thing that was discussed a lot before this past season was the carryover money. I had said that I thought that the Jets should go out and try to sign somebody like Jadavion Clowney because I was expecting Sam Darnold to be better than he actually was this past year. And I thought with coronavirus and some of these guys opting out, it might be a good opportunity for the Jets with a seventh team now getting into the playoffs to make a run at a playoff spot. I had no idea they were going to be anywhere near as bad as they actually ended up being, largely because, as I said, Sam Darnold didn't take the leap that we were all hoping he would take. So explain how this carryover works, because a lot of people were arguing with me saying they shouldn't sign Clowney. They needed the carryover money for 2021. And I was saying, nah, you got to try and at least compete this year. Turns out the people that wanted to carry over that cap space was right. What's the story with how that works? Okay, so starting with the 2011 CBA, the teams are just allowed to carry over any unused cap space into the next year, 100% of it, okay? With the 2020 CBA, the the reason not to carry 100% of it was eliminated, okay? So the teams are all should always be carrying 100%, all right? Some teams like the Rams and the Saint just carry sometimes they just carry over an even amount. Okay. But not this not in 2020 because they're 2021 everybody knew it was gonna be a bad cap year. Um so they every every team carried over an odd amount. 
All right. The Jets carried over close to twenty six point seven million dollars. I think I'm pretty sure they've had a second highest amount of carryover space. I think only the Browns had more carryover space. So what that allows them to do, all right, is to have a higher a, a higher adjusted cap number than pretty much anyone else in the league because the Jets adjusted cap number is going to be, is going to be the total of three numbers, okay? The league cap number of $182.5 million. Mm-hmm. That $26.7 million we took about carryover and in adjustments, $1.4 million. Okay, so their adjusted cap number is $208,597,814. That happens to be the second largest amount in the NFL. The Browns have the highest. Okay, the average team has about $192 million. Okay, so the so the Jets can actually allocate $16 million more in cap space to their players than the average NFL team can. Okay. For, all right. For example, the bucks who have the, the lowest adjusted cap number is actually, they're less than the league cap number because they had so many players earn incentives. Their cap. So they have like about 180 million. The Jets got 208.6 million. So that's a $28.6 million difference. So the, so that and so that's why you're seeing like Tom Brady did just did a deal the the with void money void forty years to lower his cap number because they couldn't afford to keep all those players because they got a so such a low adjusted cap number. So um, the people who were arguing to not sign Clowney were saying, well, I'd rather have. In 2021, I'd rather have the cap space. I believe that I agree with that. I agree with them, especially since I don't think Clowney was worth the money. All right. Mm-hmm. So that that they were right in that opportunity. They that opportunity cost of not signing Clowney puts the Jets in a better cap position than they would have been. Miguel, can you explain all the tricks that these teams will use to get under the cap? Because this is a strange year. The cap went down. Teams have been planning for the cap to go up every year. And that mm-hmm. sort of crashed this year with the strategy now not working because of the fact that the cap went down. So, so many teams were in a mad scramble. Tell me about some of the strategies and the little nooks and crannies that these teams will use to get underneath that number. I've been covering the cap since two th- um, the year 2000, right? The thing most teams will do is the simplest thing. Okay, in some and some in most deals, folks, is teams don't even have to ask the player to do this. It's automatically it is in the contract already. Teams have a provision in their deal that says, "Hey, if we want to convert some of your salary into a signing bonus, we can do so." Okay, that's going to probably going to happen for a lot of players. Okay, so that basically says, "Hey, if you have a five million dollar salary, we're to convert." Make it really easy, and, and you have the player has four le- years left in this deal. So where he signed from 2021 to 2024, right? You take four million of of that salary into a turn that into a signing bonus, all right? Then you prorate that four million dollars over the four years, 
and you just created $3 million in cap space because that $5 million now becomes on a, on a, on a cap $1 million salary and $1 million signing bonus proration. Okay. And folks, I know the minimum salary is a little bit higher than $1 million, but I'm just using this for example. Okay. Just for the easy, the ease of math. All right. So that's what that's. So they just pushed out $3 million in cap space that way. The other thing will teams will do right now, like say you have a player that signed just for this year, for this year. Okay. But you need some, some cap space. And this is what the, the Bucks did with Tom Brady. All right. They extended him a, extended him a year at, and they added three void years. What I mean by that is that at the end of the, for example, in the, let's just use the Bucks at the end of the 22 season. Okay. So they allows those, the, the contract years from 23, 24, and 25 will just go away. So what they did, the, the Bucks did, was give Tom Brady. I just, I don't know the exact numbers. I'll just give an example, folks. Let's just say the Bucks gave Tom Brady a twenty million dollar signing bonus. They were because they added void, voidable years. They were able to prorate that twenty million dollars over five years. All right, and that creates sixteen million dollars in cap space. All right. Um, so, be, okay, so as he gets, his salary becomes that much lower because he got this lower salary and a small signing moderation. That's the thing that most teams will do. That's a dangerous thing to do because you, for, if you do it for a lot of players because you're eventually going to have a lot of dead money. And, event, and even though the cap will go up after the pandemic is over, you don't really want to have a lot of dead money on your cap because you you can't use that dead money, the space that's allocated dead money to obtain players. All right. So I doubt that the Jets who have this much cap space will do the voiding years things. It's it would be it'd be bad salary cap practice for them to do so. They don't need to do it because they have so much cap space. I could see them doing the convert salary bonus to salary, converting salary into signing bonus thing. I would be surprised if they did that. You know what I'm saying? But that just because they have so much cap space. Um, so hopefully that answers your question. So those are the two things I would see you're going to see more of that, than you ever heard in recent years. Because, and as in recent years, the cap has been going up $10 million a year. Teams have not had needed to do these these things to push out money into the into the future really can't blame them nobody could th- would think that there was going to be a pandemic um, that would lower the cap by 30 million dollars because if the, without the pandemic the cap would have been around a 210 million dollars so there's a 30 million dollar difference which is huge for a team like the Jets who are looking to pounce in free agency and you hear terms like dead cap you hear prorated I wanted to know okay. really what that means. And when you talk about trades, you talk about a guy getting cut, somebody retiring, even a cap hold, for instance, with the Jets, Marcus May, they just franchise tagged him. So there's a cap hold there. How does all of this work in terms of what it actually counts against the cap for these teams? Okay. Um, for, with Marcus May as a friend, once the Jets 
French place a franchise tag on him, his franchise tag number counts against the cap. It doesn't matter if he doesn't sign it on, right away. It counts against the cap as soon as you put it on the player. Right? It, do, it doesn't matter if he doesn't sign it right away. All right? So hopefully that answers that part about the franchise t- tag number. Mm-hmm. As what dead money is, okay, dead money is – what is the cap space allocated to players who are no longer playing on the, on the, on that current contract. For example, if the jets let go of release a player this year and it has dead money, I don't, so I gotta, th- um, I don't follow the jets cause I'm going to page. I'm a Patriots fan. Right. So if you tell me, tell me a player you think they're going to release off the top of my head, let's just go with Alex Lewis, the guard, Alex Lewis, the guard. Okay. Now let's say he has, I don't know his numbers off the top of my head, okay? So let's just say he has $5 million left in signing bonus paration, okay? Um, if they cut, if you cut a player before June 2nd, all that signing bonus paration would hit the cap in, two th- in, in that current year. If you cut a player after June 1st, the current year's signing paration remains on the cap, on the, that year's cap, and future signing bonuses hit the next year's cap. So, like for example, he has eight hundred and thirty-three dollars, eight hundred thirty-three thousand three hundred three dollars assigning bonus paration. All right, but he signed through next year. So if you cut him, he has two years worth of signing bonus paration. Right, that would hit the cap. His and you you would create come some cap space, but that 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 dead money would then go on his dead dead money would he his name would come off the active roster list and go to the dead money list. For example, I guess you guys have cut Le'Veon Bell and Tremaine Johnson and blah blah blah. So that's why you have like sixteen over sixteen million dollars in dead money right now. How does it work with something? guys that get cut and traded with the dead money exactly? Okay, so this is the only time is really a difference between a cut and a trade is when a player has guaranteed salary, mm-hmm. okay? Because when you cut a player, for example, Stan Donald, okay? If you were, if the Jets were to cut him, right, and he has all of his 2021 cash guaranteed to them. So, yeah, so he would, so if you were to cut him, you wouldn't save any money on the cap, hardly any money on the cap, because all of his salary is guaranteed, and he has, roster, he has a roster bonus, uh, that he would probably get in training camp. All that would come would hit the cap. cap. But if you trade him, right, all you have to account for as dead money is his signing bonus paration because mm-hmm. his new team would then become responsible for his guaranteed base salary and his guaranteed roster bonus. So when you trade a player, you, 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 you relieve yourself, especially Sam Donald, of his guaranteed money guaranteed salary but the signing bonus ration will still remain on the cap as dead money so that's the difference in dead money for some players who's cut and who may be traded the only difference is that the person has some has guaranteed salary not you know what I'm saying for example like like Jameson Crowder he doesn't have any more guaranteed salary so when you his dead money would be the same if you either trade him or to cut him before June 1st Whereas there's a difference for Sam Donald because he has guaranteed salary. Mm-hmm. That was what a lot of people were having trouble figuring out with the trades of Matthew Stafford, Jared Goff, 
and Carson Wentz. So it's a real landmine with this stuff, and that's why I'm glad that you were able to come on and talk about it. I also wanted to ask you about the draft picks and how that works because you have to allot okay. certain salaries for these draft picks. How exactly do they do that, and what are the numbers that a team like the Jets might be looking at in terms of oh we God. know it's $82 million right now that they have, but they're going to have to set aside some money for the draft picks. Okay, so, oh, my God, you guys got a, ton, you guys got a lot of draft picks, okay? And the high in the draft, okay? So, according to um, overthecap.com, we got to give, give a shout-out to Nick Corte, all right? Because he's the one who does the draft work, does the draft pool work on it, all right? So, the Jets' rookie pool is $15.3 million, okay? But it doesn't mean they have to save $15.3 million on the cap. And the reason they don't have to do that, all right, because the rule, top rule of 51. So because, remember, so folks, the players, Patriot, um, every team can have 90 players on their roster, all right? But only during this offseason, from the beginning of the league year to roster cutdown weekend in um, Labor Day weekend, all right, only the salaries of the players who have the 51 highest cap numbers count against the cap, all right? The players underneath the who not in the 51, their, their salaries do not count against the cap. So, like, so now, let's – like, right now, the 51st player on the Jets has a cap – has a cap number of $780,000, okay? So when the when, – let's say the Jets don't make any trades, okay? So – and so if you look at there, what they have in the draft, all right, they have nine picks. But let's look, let's look, you got a six, a six round pick, the 185th pick all, all right? Because his cap number is less than $780,000, the only part of his cap number that will hit the books when he's signed will be his signing bonus paration. All right, and that'll probably be the same for. That's going to be for all of the guys and the two guys in the, in the fifth round. Okay, so you got three picks where only signing bonus creation will hit the caps. The two guys in the fifth round and the player in the sixth sixth round. So then they got the two picks in the first round, the second round pick, the third round pick, and the fourth round pick. What you have to do is then minus from their cap number. For example. The guy, the, whoever you pick at number two, right? He has a cap number of $6.4 million. But when you sign him, the Jets will actually not will not lose $6.4 million in cap space. They'll lose $6.4 million minus $780,000. Because he's going to display, he's going to dig it. That player will kick off a player who has that $780,000 from the top 51 list. So it's like seven million dollars that you see that, that out of that fifteen million dollar pool, it really the Jets can really spend eight point four million dollars. It's not so the Jets don't have to carry have to worry about having to hold fifteen point four million dollars. I actually have to hold for eight point four million dollars because of the top fifty one rule. So beyond the rookies, you have these guys that are going to come in before them, and then you'll have to figure out how much money you have to leave over to be able to get those rookies. And you want to leave yourself some wiggle room so that if you're in a situation where you have to clear up cap space, now the Jets are not in that situation as we talked about mm -hmm. before, 
that they're good each year. They don't have to struggle. And I guess this is one thing that's actually nice about being a bad team is that it makes it easy free agency time. Of course, you trade that in for being a good team any day of the week, but that's not where the Jets are at right now. We've heard in the past that contracts can be good even if they're quote-unquote bad because they're easy to get out of. And we did hear that with Tremaine Johnson. We heard, it's a Mm five-year deal, but they can get out after two years or they can get out after three years. Can you explain what that means exactly, a contract that's quote-unquote easy to get out of after a short period of time? Okay, the less less guaranteed money in the deal, the easier to get out of, right? The less, so, and then when I'm talking about, and the less the signing bonus paration in it, the easier it is to get out of. All right. Once in most, let's just use five-year deals, right? Most deals after the third, the 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 dead money. Like if you when you with a cut a player in the first, year, you sign a player the first year of the deal, the dead money is going to be more than his cap number. So you would lose cap space if you cut a player in the first year of the deal. It's also true in the second year of the deal. By the time you get to the third year of the deal, you can cut a player and create cap space. Uh, even you'll have dead money, but you also create cap space, and that's why it's for the most. Like I don't know if you follow Andrew Brandt on um, Twitter, he used to be a former GM of the Packers. It's all he's his famous one of his famous sayings is these free agency deals is two years and we'll see. And that's unless you sign unless that third year is fully guaranteed, that's going to be two years and see is true for most deals in free agency. So that's, I mean, that, that's where you come with it. That, that phrase is from the, either you have to have a really great guarantee, fully guaranteed salary in the third year, or you have to have a ton of dead, a large, really large signing bonus. For example, like Russell Wilson. One reason I think that the, the Seahawks are not going to trade him is he's got a $30 million, $39 million dead money cap hit because he's, be he's still got three years of signing bonus proration left. It behooves a player to get as much signing bonus as possible and as much guaranteed money as possible to make sure he gets all his deal. So this year with the Jets having so much cap space, they could quote unquote go hog wild. I don't expect them to, but they could also put together a string of really smart deals and still get pretty good players, right? Oh, they have. Yes. I expect this, that, that to be true. I think the that's going to be true. I think you'll be able to get a, a six a player who would have gotten last year a six million dollar deal, an average deal for four million dollars a year. I think some players will decide, hey, I might just take a one million dollar deal and with one team to and just wait and then try to get in free agency next year. Well, if you have a lot of cap space like the Jets do, and then you can have offer a player. A most, the most money on a one-year deal. There's, like, for example, there's no if the Jets and the Saints were competing for the same player, I'm pretty sure the Jets can offer him. And if the player says, I only want to take a one-year deal, the Jets can definitely outbid the, for the Saints for that, for that player. So this is where a team like the Saints could find themselves in a bad spot and a team like the Jets could swoop in and grab either one of the players like Trey Hendrickson, who's out on the market as a free agent, or even reach out to the Saints and offer to take one of their players off their hands. Like, for instance, let's just throw out the name Marshawn Lattimore because they're so desperate to get money off their books, right? 
Right. They, I, I would think with the Saints, they're going to probably extend Lattimore and then rather mm-hmm. try to trade him. But they, that's one of those things you, they could do. Last question for you, Miguel, because a lot of people have been asking. With Deshaun Watson, a lot of Jets fans are waiting with bated breath to see what happens there. And everybody's trying to figure out exactly how this works if he decides not to show up. With fines and the signing bonus, would he have to pay it back if he tries to retire? How would all of this work? Oh, he he's on the, the he would have to uh, he would have to sit out. He would lose a ton of money if he sat out the entire year. But he might for him it might he's so young he'll make it up on the back end. He would like the, the exact number. I think um, I would Jason Fitzgerald, who happens to be a Jets fan, all right, mm-hmm. who runs all, over the Capcom. He wrote us an article about the exact money. All right, um, I don't know it off the top of my head. I wish, um, but he. Deshaun Watson would lose a ton of money, but he's so young and he plays the game's most important position. He will make it up in the back end. I mean, so like I, and for the funny thing is about for the Jets, all right, you his first year cap number like this is less than like ten million. It's about ten million dollars. It's like you guys, <laughs> you guys could sign him and still trade for him and still have a ton of cap space. Well, that's what I keep talking about, Miguel. People say, well, if the Jets trade draft picks, then they're not going to be able to build a team around Deshaun Watson. But what I keep saying is they have so many extra draft picks that theoretically they could trade a bunch of them, still have normal drafts over the next couple of years, and they'd still have a ton of money to build around him because, as you said, his first-year cap hit especially is very low. Yeah. Let's say you gave up the number two pick and the 23rd pick. So now you don't have to. Now you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about having that eight point four million dollars mm-hmm. hold. That that's less. So if you trade those two picks, really, so you really come out ahead, probably cap wise, you probably might come out even, cap wise this year. That is fascinating to think about. I didn't even consider that, but what a great point by you and something that I think a lot of Jets beat writers and members of the media should start to truly ponder is the fact that realistically if the Jets traded their top two picks in this year's draft in a deal for Watson because of how low Watson's cap number is the Jets would probably come out about even or even ahead possibly on the cap for this year allowing them to add even more talent than we realize and then going forward as far as draft picks go they could still trade other picks in future years and still have relatively normal drafts because, as I keep saying, even if they trade number two and number 23 this year, they still have number 34, which is practically like a first-round pick, and they could get another pick by trading Sam Darnold, and then even if they move a first-rounder from next year's draft, they'd still have another first-rounder. The two first-round picks would have a total cap hit around $8.8 million. Deshaun Watson's cap number for if he you traded for would be ten point five four million dollars. So you you would it would cost so net cost would be about two million dollars. Like it's a no brainer for the Jets, in my opinion, to try to trade to trade for Deshaun Watson. That's a no brainer for me. And as a Patriots fan, this is killing me. (laughs) Miguel knows his stuff with the cap. He just brought up a point that I have not heard anybody else mention. And as he said, he's a huge Patriots fan. So for him to say it especially means that it really must be 
an idea worth pursuing. Miguel Rafael Benzon, otherwise known as Pat's Cap on Twitter, thank you so much for coming on and clearing up some of these issues and really putting in perspective what a Deshaun Watson trade could mean because, as I said, nobody's really brought that point up. Of course, leave it to a Patriots fan to come up with a great idea like that. For those that want to follow you, check out your work. I would say that in a lot of ways, you're sort of like the Jason Fitzgerald of Patriots Twitter. And I think that that's a valuable commodity to be following, even if you're a Jets fan, because A, as you could tell, Miguel really knows his stuff with the cap overall, and B, the Patriots are in the division. So if you want to know where they're at and what they can and can't do, he's somebody that you want to follow. So Miguel, for anybody that wants to follow you, check out your work. How can they do that? And also, as we're going out here, I want to know, what are your thoughts on this Cam Newton contract? (laughs) Okay. Um, they can follow me on Twitter at Pat's Cap. Um, I love I love the deal. I would Jason gave it a B plus. I would have gave it an A. I think you. Um, I as a person, um, who said on several podcasts before the signing, I didn't want to see. I couldn't stand watching Cam Newton skip his throws, but for five million dollars, five point four million dollars. Is you getting that's tremendous value if he works out, okay? Um, allows the Patriots to still get a rookie, hopefully get a rookie quarterback as a bridge. That it may, and then hopefully they get um, the the able to, the Patriots able to use having Cam Newton on their team to recruit some skill player talent because the Patriots need some talent at the wide receiver position and at tight end. I like to deal in the, in that sense. Um, I, I it cr- cracks me up, folks, and, and listening to this, the Cam Newton deal is the, uh, the latest example of why you should never listen to the first reports of a deal because it's always getting fluffed up by the agents and by the reporters. They all everyone saying he got fourteen million dollars, fourteen million dollars. He didn't have a Cam Newton does not have a fourteen million dollar cap fit for the Patriots. He's got like a five point four million dollar cap fit for the Patriots. Because when you see it, I'll say this on Twitter: if you ever see like Adam Schefter or Tom Pelissero or Ian Rappaport say "worth up to," that means the player probably got a deal that has either active roster bonuses and or incentives, or more sometimes even both. So that's my my so folks that's a takeaway even from that couple take take also take that away is like that worth up to is a is a dead giveaway that the the agent has wants the reports out there the, the initial reports to overstate the true value play like a jet play like a jet Roundtable time, which means the Stewart brothers are back. I love talking to these guys. Chase Stewart, who is the man behind Pro Football Perspective, and of course, Jamie Stewart, award-winning sports reporter for News 12. So let's start with Jamie on this one, and we'll talk about the Adam Gase era. Was there anything positive that you took out of this? And I know that you and I both were anti-Gase. You were pro-McCarthy, so we'll see how that works out because he didn't do so well <laughs> in Dallas you this year. bring that up. <laughs> well, listen, he could turn it around. It's very possible. But we were both anti-Adam Gase. Did this go more or less exactly how you thought it would? And was there anything positive you took out of this? Uh, I, there's no way anybody with a rational mind could take anything positive out of this. Um, 
it went worse than I thought. Um, I, it, it was beyond rock bottom. Uh, he was worse than I thought. Uh, at the very least, I thought we would get a somewhat of a better version of Sam Darnold because let's be honest, that was literally the reason he was brought in. So the fact that he failed miserably at the only thing he supposedly was good at, it uh, was an abject failure. I don't see anything good that came out of it. Um, if you possibly would say, well, at least we know more about Sam Darnold and now the Jets can move on. You know, you've got a lot of people who say that he ruined Sam Darnold and it's a cloudier vision than ever. So, no. Short answer, no. Nothing positive came out of it. He was worse than I thought. Yeah, it's hard to come up with any positives. It, it got bad and it got bad quickly. There was not one meaningful game of the Adam Gase era. And so, you know, the the last year obviously was 0-13. The year well, the before Rams the Jets meaningful. Well, exactly. Not one meaningful <laughs> – there was not one meaningful uh, win. I mean, the, the Cowboys win stands out as the only, you know, glimmer, and it's sad if we're, you know, holding on to a one win two years ago and the Jets are 0-4 and then lost three straight games after that. But that was really the only win that had any um, positive feelings <clears throat> attached to it. The, the Jets had – you know, they started 0-13, and, and then the wins after that were meaningless. And then the year before, they started 1-7, and seven, and at that point, every win after that was meaningless. So there was there was nothing to really celebrate, uh, again, other than maybe, you know, if you want to reach for that Cowboys game. And last year was really a, a particularly brutal year for fans where you, you reached the point where fans were outright hoping for the team to lose. So I can't come up with any positives from the Adam Gase era. Adam Gase is gone. Robert Salas here now. All gas, no break. We know the story. How you feeling about the hire so far, Chase? You know, I think the hire was as good as can be expected. I mean, you know, when, when you're thinking back to October, November, Salas was probably one of the two or three hottest names. And certainly, you know, and probably Eric Bienme was one of the other ones that he didn't get hired by anybody. And so I think if you look at where the, the Jets – Search was in November. You know, if you had said, "Hey, they're going to get Robert Sala," everyone would have been very excited. And he, he's a guy who did an outstanding job coaching the 49ers to the Super Bowl, a uh, defensive-driven team in 2019. They did a great job, you know, for a lot of that, that playoff run as well, shutting down some good quarterbacks and really doing the, a good job on Mahomes for three quarters of the Super Bowl. Last year, you saw, uh, you know, in some ways, a better job by him with a defense that really had been depleted by injuries. Players seem to really like him. He, he's got, you know, the right energy that, that people seem to like. So very much a different hire than Gase, of course. And I think if you're, you know, objectively looking at it, the, the Jets did as well as they could have hiring Sala. And, you know, but the, the Jets have made good hires before. I think a lot of people – really praised the Todd Bowles hire and with good reason. And in retrospect, maybe even more good reason than we realized off of what Bowles just did. So, you know, it's a good, it's a good start, but we have to really see what happens before we can say too much. Look, the Jets have hired good defensive coaches before, like Chase said, Eric Reggini was a good defensive coach. Bowles was a good defensive coach. So we know Sal is a good defensive coach. Um, there are two things I like about the hiring. One, 
it really does a good job of wiping away a lot of the stench that has been on the Jets for two years with Gates because it's hard to find a coach that's more liked than Salah among the players. So automatically, I mean, you hear with the Watson rumors, automatically players love this guy and are thinking, like Richard Sherman, of playing for him. So that's great. And from a second standpoint, I just like the wide net that Douglas cast, and he had never even met Salah, and he ended up hiring him. So that, to me, shows his willingness um, to paint a, a wide brush, and he obviously was really impressed from the leadership perspective and the game plan perspective, the vision that Salah has. So what is he as far as a game day coach? We have no idea, but from a, just a PR perspective and a moving forward perspective, I think it was a very good move. Since you brought up Joe Douglas, Jamie, where are you on him right now? Are you optimistic? He's only had one full off season, so we've seen the moves, some good, some bad, but overall looks like there's some promising signs, sort of like you said with Robert Sala, where the arrow appears to be pointing up, at least on the surface. And then ownership. What do you think about Woody Johnson coming back? Do you have any strong feelings one way or the other? You know, it's so funny because yet fans are like so happy that Woody Johnson's back because of, you know, Chris Johnson when he labeled Adam Gase a genius. And it's like, oh, thank God, you know, Woody's back. And like, do people remember like <laughs> what, what fans were thinking of Woody Johnson for the last 10 years? And look, Woody, whatever. He, 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 he wants to win. He spends a lot of money. I don't know how much he meddles. So that obviously can always be a factor. Um, but him coming back, you know, Jets have had a decent run with Woody over the years. They've had a bunch of playoff appearances, a bunch of championship appearances. Is he a great owner? No. Is he a horrible owner? No. So I think it's okay um, with that. And as far as Joe Douglas, yeah, I mean, I think the honeymoon's over. Uh, he came in here very well respected. Um, got a lot more from Jamal Adams than we thought. Uh, made some questionable free agent signings that did not work out, uh, offensive line moves that were not great, let Robbie Anderson go, as he's uh, admitted was a, a mistake for the price tag. Um, so it's an, an incomplete right now for Joe Douglas, but yes, I think he's so well-respected around the league, and he's a, put the Jets in, in such a good position to improve the club rather quickly over the next year and a half. Uh, I'd be optimistic if I was a Jets fan, but I would not say, oh, it's a, it's a slam dunk because, you know, he has made mistakes. Yeah, you know, usually my brother and I tend to have very different responses, but I feel like this year we're sympathetic. <laughs> and uh, it is. It's I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure why. But I agree. <laughs> I, mean, look, I think there is similar to the Darnold, you know, optimism of a couple of years ago. There, there are, reasons and pocket the fans who are thinking Joe Douglas is the savior. And I think that's probably not quite justified yet. You know, obviously the the team went two and 14 last year. And I think it was Jason Fitzgerald who said that the majority of the players on the 2020 Jets roster were either drafted or signed by Joe Douglas. So it's not a fully inherited team. Now I'm not going to criticize Douglas, you know, for the, the roster was terrible and he you know maybe didn't have a lot of wiggle room, but I can't praise the guy who's one year the team went two and 14. I think the, the Beckton draft pick looks good, although I'm not quite sure that was something that was, uh, you know, all that challenging of a draft pick to make. I think a lot of GMs would have made that pick. And so 
I don't want to go overboard my, you know, praise for it. And I think the rest of the draft has been very, you know, too early to say is how I would describe it. He's made two big trades. The Leonard Williams trade, I thought he did a really nice job. The Jamal Adams trade, you know, I think it's a little more complicated to analyze, but I think ultimately the return was very good. So, you know, there's some reasons to be optimistic. Douglas has a positive reputation in the league, you know, without question. And I think the Salah hire was good. So there's, there's things mm. to look for, absolutely, if you want to back Joe Douglas. But, you know, if you're going to tell me two years from now we're saying Joe Douglas was a bad GM, would I be shocked? No, because it, we haven't really seen enough actual, you know, results. So this is a big year, like Jamie said, for Douglas. I think the honeymoon period's over. There really is no reason why the Jets should not be competitive to more than that as soon as this season. They've got as much draft capital as anyone in the league, as much salary cap room as anyone in the league. They should be able to turn things around pretty quickly with a, a better head coach. And so it's time to see what Douglas can do in building this roster. Cautious optimism with Joe Douglas, right, Jamie? Yeah. Uh, and and I, I think, like Chase said, I mean, uh, it's weird that Chase and I are agreeing on everything. I think that's what happens <laughs> when the Jets have hit the low that they've hit the last two years. It's like – People have just been beaten into submission, and it's like, you know, how it can't get any worse, so it must get better. Uh, I think Jeff fans are always cautiously optimistic, but look, he, he did sign, like Jay said, he, he also signed a lot of one-year deals last year, which at the time when he did in the offseason, I was a little confused because I was like, I thought the Jets were trying to build, and these are guys that are just a one-year deal, one, and if they do well, they might leave. But in hindsight... He basically, I don't want to say he was punting on last year, but he was setting himself up, and he set himself up for now, and it's go time. And it's fascinating that nobody knows what he's going to do at the most important position coming forward in the next few months. So let's transition to that specific position, the quarterback position. I did that for you. Ah, This is why you're an (laughs) award-winning reporter, Jamie. Look at you. Top-notch, A-plus level stuff by you, Jamie. So let's talk about Sam Darnold. Now, I want to ask Chase first because, Jamie, last year when you guys were on, unfortunately, we appear to have been wrong because we were sort of fighting with Chase about (laughs) Sam Darnold saying, come on, the arrow's pointing up. He had some really nice games, especially if you look at the end of 2018 and then 2019, you looked at the Cowboys game and the Raiders and six Washington. And, six and two down the stretch. Mm-hmm, exactly. And then this year came, and it looks like Sam Darnold fell off a cliff, unfortunately. And Chase was warning us about that last year. He was saying, don't be fooled by this. He's been erratic. Maybe he's just a bad quarterback who flashes at times. And it looks like that might be the case. Now, the book isn't completely closed on Sam Darnold yet because he's still only 24 years old. But history is not kind to those who have had this many starts and been this bad. I think we can all agree on that. So, Chase, let's start with you. Do you take any pleasure in being right about this? Because you are a Jets fan, so I know you like to be right, but I'm sure it hurts you on some level to have watched this. And is there any way that you would stick with Sam Darnold? If not, which direction would you go? Would you try to trade for somebody? Would you try to draft somebody? I definitely am not happy that Darnold has been a bust in New York. And it's, you know, unfortunately, it's definitely time to turn the page. From my perspective, the reasons to hold on to Sam Donald are just praying and hoping and wanting and not an objective analysis. You know, 
it's easy to, to say the situation was bad, but we've seen quarterbacks play, worse quarterbacks play better in just the bad situations. And I look at someone like Gardner Minshew, who nobody thinks is a good quarterback or even a you know top 25 quarterback, and he was on the worst team in football, and he looked not only a little bit better, but a lot better than Donald at times. And so I, I think holding on to Donald just because he was a third pick is a classic sunk fallacy. Uh, problem. So I no time to move on. Uh, could he play well for another team? Absolutely, it's always possible. But if uh, if he does, good for him. So I'd rather uh, not waste another year with him. And you know, in terms of what what's next for the Jets, I mean, uh, obviously in terms of trade, it's Deshaun Watson, and that would be great if it happens. You know, for the right compensation. But I don't think that's going to happen. So I wouldn't bank on that. And so I think with the second pick in the draft, Joe Douglas will take a quarterback. There are lots of you know, potential franchise quarterbacks out there. I think everyone expects it will be either Fields or Wilson, or I don't know which one it will be yet. But you have to think Joe Douglas looks at the landscape of college quarterbacks and sees a guy who can be a franchise quarterback. And those two have great physical tools. They've had success in college. It's up to Douglas and the coaching staff to, to draft them, get the most out of them, help them grow, and turn into a franchise quarterback. You've got that guy once you draft him under contract for five years, and so that really should be the plan of a new regime to, to grow and build that quarterback. You know, Darnold's regime did not work. We moved past it, and then you hope that the Jets can find the right guy with the second pick. Yeah, I uh, once again surprisingly agree with my younger brother. Um, <laughs> listen, with Sam Darnold, I think Jet fans – feel that he got a raw deal? And the answer is yes, he got a raw deal. We all know it. If you want to put 80% of the blame on the Jets, great. 50% of the blame on the Jets, great. However you shake it, the Jets have reached this point where he's been below average for three years, and they are the number two pick in the draft. So it all comes down to, do the Jets feel that one of these quarterbacks in the draft, not named Trevor, can be very good? If the answer is yes, then they will pick them with the number two pick at a fraction of the price that Sam Darnold will cost them, you know, after one more year, even if they franchise him for another year at $25 million, it's not worth it because you're banking on Darnold turning it around, uh, which is a very high risk compared to a new head coach coming in with a staff that he believes in and a quarterback that he believes in on a rookie deal. So I do believe the Jets will draft a quarterback at two unless they are able to pull off a mega trade and – you know, while it would be interesting and exciting, I don't know if that is something Joe Douglas wants to do. Uh, you got to remember, Joe Douglas was with Baltimore. You know, they won the Super Bowl back in the day with, with Trent Dilfer, and I think he was part of the organization. And they won a Super Bowl with Joe Flacco. And then he was with the Eagles, and they won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. So it's not like, you know, and then Robert Sala went to a Super Bowl with Garoppolo. So it's not like these guys say we must get a top-five quarterback at all costs. So I don't know if he's going to do that. If I had to guess right now, I would say they would draft a quarterback at number two. Let's talk free agency because that comes before the draft. Looking at who the Jets have to sign internally, Marcus May stands out, and then you look at all the big names, Curtis Samuel at wide receiver, Juju Smith-Schuster, Joe Tooney was a target that they looked at last year. Jamie, what do you think? Who would you like to see them keep that they already have that's coming up and going to be available to other teams? And who are some of the players in some of the positions you'd like to see them fill in free agency? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, they have so much money and so many options. Um, to me, Cooney would be the guy, 100% that I would go for. Um, to shore up the inside of that line. Um, so I would throw a lot of money at Tooney, but a Galladay certainly be interested in, interested to see what the Jets do with Crowder or not. But receiver for sure, there's so many options because, you know, you don't know what the Jets, how they value. Do they value, you know, Judon? Do they want the pass rusher? And, and that's a guy that I would be interested in if I was the Jets as well. Um, so it's, I'm sure Joe Douglas has a plan, but he's keeping it very close to the vest right now. You know, I think you have to view the draft and free agency as a collective way to improve the team. And so in some ways, the values and the way you view certain prospects in the draft will impact free agency. And I don't know if the Jets are you know, high in the receivers in the draft, and that may make them less likely to take a receiver. You could do that analysis for any position. But certainly receiver would, would seem to be the one position where you would really want the Jets to focus on to get that top guy. Galladay, I think that would be a, a great way to start whoever the new quarterback is with the Jets. But the one guy who I don't hear a lot of uh, talking about, but I do think would, would fit a huge need for the Jets and could be a great addition, is Hunter Henry. And I think the Jets really need to improve the tight end position, and that, that's been a, an issue for a long time in New York. And, you know, I'm not saying Hunter Henry is amazing, but he would be a very good tight end, and if it's not him, you know, someone else. I do think that is a position where the Jets really should look to improve because they, they need to be able to surround this rookie quarterback with weapons, and that's that tight end, that's the pass-catching running back, and that's that wide receiver, and it's probably three or four receivers. And so I would focus mostly on the offense if I was Joe Douglas. I'm not sure he's going to do that, but I would spend the majority of my resources on the offensive side of the football. I really think it's it's everywhere. Uh, the offensive line could use another two players. The receiver group could use at least one, and I think they could use help at both tight end and running back. And so, to me, you worry about the defense in 2022. You hope Sala can also coach up and get the most out of some of the second and third tier free agents. But I really think the first priority has to be giving this new quarterback the best chance to succeed by surrounding him with, with talent at you know, offensive line and at the receiver positions. I Yeah, I agree. I, I do agree with, with Chase. I think the Jets, you know, have been so horrible and so anemic offensively for years that they really should go all in on revamping the entire offense. But I forgot to mention a couple of guys just defensively, if they're available, like potentially a Shaq, Shaq, uh, Shaq Barrett, who I think would feel still a huge hole. Trey Hendrickson from the Saints is a guy that I think could be a big hole as well. But there are a lot of guys that are going to be competing with the Jets for these guys. But, uh, Chase, I can't believe you're already uh, giving up on Chris Herndon, the unicorn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, that, I think that's the problem is you see, and, I, you know, I know you're being sarcastic, but I, I think some of the problems you see with Jets fans' analysis is they think, this guy's okay or this guy could be pretty good. And that's just not good enough. When, you, when you're trying to talk about competing to be a 10-win team, someone right. like, you know, Chris Herndon, yeah, maybe he could be good. That, that's what your backup tight end position is for. And so, you know, same analysis for Sam Donald, right? Yeah, he could be good, but you can't be trying to beat, uh, you know, the Chiefs and the Bills and the Ravens with a guy who might be okay at quarterback. And so I think there's just a, a need to upgrade the talent across the board. These guys who we view as projects, I think, for too long, you know, this was a problem with McCagnan, and I don't want it to become a problem with Douglas. But putting in prospects in the starting lineup, is an issue. And if you know, you're going to tell me Herndon's going to be a breakout star 
in 2021 with a new quarterback, great. That means just have two good tight ends. That's a good problem. But there just needs to be a significant improvement in talent across the board. And I think tight end might be one of those positions where they just might be able to even get somebody for relatively cheap. And it would, it would make a lot of sense if they can do it. It's the old economist saying, compared to what, right? Because you look at somebody like Chris Herndon and you say, oh, he's not bad. He's okay. And then you say, okay, compared to what? Look at the rest of the league. How does he shake out compared to the rest of the league? And I think that's been a big part of the problem for the Jets is that they will get these guys in free agency or they'll get these guys in the draft and fans will look at them and say, oh, this guy's okay. This guy's not bad. But when you measure them compared to the rest of the players in the league at those positions, the Jets fall short. And that's why there was a disconnect for a couple of years, particularly during the Mike McCagnin era, as far as how good this team actually was and how much talent they actually had. And so, Jamie, now Joe Douglas has a very important job. We saw him begin it last year with the draft, and now this year's draft is going to be super important. Assuming that, as you said, a blockbuster deal for somebody like Deshaun Watson doesn't happen, he's going to have two first-round picks, a second-round pick, two-thirds, a fourth, two-fifths, and if they move Sam Darnold, they could get extra draft capital there as well. What do you think they should focus on in the draft? Uh, everything. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, everything. Um, yeah, I think Chase is right. I mean, you, you look at free agency one way, the draft the other way. So does Joe Douglas feel like he needs an immediate upgrade on the offense? I'm sure he does. If he wants proven players on the offense, he probably does, especially if he's going to help a young quarterback. So if you think that's the case, then he's probably going to go more defense in the draft after he picks a quarterback at two. So, you know, I, I would see a potential quarterback with a Jets second uh, first-round pick for sure. Um, there are obviously, is, every year, there's pass rushes available. I would see him going that route. The Jets are not going to probably – the Jets are not going to throw money, I don't think, at every single position. He wants to build through the draft. So I would see quarterback at two, quarterback – at the next spot, I can certainly see pass rushers, um, but we'll, we'll, we'll know for sure the way the pre-agent market shapes out for the Jets. It's going to be a very exciting next few weeks when this happens because the plan will slowly start to take shape. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, you, you look at it, and they've got 23, 34, and 66 in the draft. Th- those are pretty good picks. I mean, certainly 23 and 34 – could be legitimate starters, and 66 you hope you can turn into a really good player. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see the Jets trading. You know, I could see them going up or down in the draft, depending on who they're targeting. But you know, if I look at the, the starting offense, I think you could probably add seven new starters. And so maybe you, uh, again, I would focus all on offense right now. And I would say you've got, you know, obviously two is going to be a quarterback, 23 and 34 could be a couple offensive players. And so that means you're looking at adding four new starters in free agency. I think that's probably a, a reasonable target. And so I, I would look to add four starters in free agency, use two, 23 and 34 on the offense. And, you know, it's up to Douglas to sort of mix and match as to where the value is. But really, again, I would focus all the energy on offense. If the 2021 Jets are, you know, Six and eleven because I think it's a seventeen-game season next year. If they're six and eleven with a top ten offense, I actually would say that's a pretty good year 
and I'd be okay with I that. I mean, that's, and that's, then that's, like pie, that's like pie in the that's like pie in the sky. I know you're saying why it's not pie in the sky, but I mean, you're going from 31 to 10. I I don't think that's pie in the sky at all. If you're adding in, you know, switching over the majority of the offense, including the most important position, to a rookie quarterback who you're going to surround with good talent. I mean, that that has to be what the the goal is. There's no reason that I'm, you know, Joe Douglas. I have to build the offense. You're you're getting a guy who you think is a franchise quarterback with the second pick, and you're going to surround him with top talent. And you've got to you know trust in your offensive coordinator and trust in your offense. That's where the resources should be. And again, having a losing record but a top ten offense, I think is a trade-off I'd be willing to take as a fan. And I also think that that is a reasonable target for the Jets in 2021. Jamie and Chase agreed way more than I ever expected today. And by the way, the twist I never saw coming, Chase was the optimist at the end of the show and Jamie was the pessimist. Usually it's the other way around. So fantastic as always from the Stewart brothers. Can't wait to talk to them again next year. And I'm hoping that Chase's optimism ends up being rewarded and the Jets do well in free agency in the draft and have a better season than some of us are expecting in 2021. In the meantime, though, make sure that you're following Jamie on Twitter at N12JamieStewart and follow Chase at FBGChase. And make sure that you are checking out everything going on at playlikeajet.com right now because with free agency just about to kick off, the legal tampering period is here. We are going to have wall-to-wall coverage, not just of what the Jets are doing, but how everything going on around the NFL is going to affect the Jets. So many moves are going to happen in the next few days, and we are going to have all of it for you at playlikeajet.com. Also, if you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. It. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and PlayLikeAJet.com.